Choppers, we ran into some technical difficulties with this episode. Please bear with us. And with that, let's get on to the show. All right, welcome back to last week chopped up, last month chopped up, but it's a chop up here with lifelong friends Nithin and Jeremy Nithin joining from Medellin, Colombia. Jeremy joining from LA. I'm sitting out here in Amsterdam. Gents, how are you doing today? Good, brother. I'm good. It's been a minute, you know. I yeah. have, have to remember how to do this here thing. Yeah. You know, we took off a took a, took a summer break here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I feel like we'll, we'll start to get back into it again soon. But yeah, man, nice to to be back on the pod with y'all boys. For sure. Nith, what you doing, man? Yeah, life's good. <laughs> yeah, we had like about 10 minutes of updating software. That's always a sign that you waited too long. For sure. <laughs> if every piece of software requires another update between the last time you did the recording. But yeah, man, life is good. Uh, just chilling. Well, let's, I mean, we want to jump right into it. You know, if, if uh, apparently, yeah, summer, no, no drama, yeah, limited COVID drama. Like I was thinking, you know, all the recordings we have, we can look back and be like, remember when it was just like, we could not talk about COVID, and now, at least out here, it's sort of, I mean, probably, I mean, L.A., Columbia, and the Netherlands, you can barely see signs of it. I don't know how it is for y'all. I mean, it, it exists, sure, and it's a little bit in the news, but for the most part, all I feel it from is more people that sick at work, and culturally, it's, it's being minimized. How is it for y'all? Oh, yeah, out here, uh, same. I mean, it's kind of like people are living in these streets, you're doing whatever. But while it did, uh, while it did come up a bit more is that, uh, you know, on LA account or just in all of America now, it's back to, you know, everyone's out with COVID. I'm sure it's somewhere there. Like, it's like, I think more generally, like people think more COVID cases now than they were before. But <clears throat> they uh, the city council said before, hey, if we get back into like high uh, territory or very high, whatever definition, we're going to bring back the mask mandate. Oh, so yeah. that's been like the hot topic of everyone being like, no, bro, do not, do not do this. Like, even though case count or case loads are up, like hospitalization uh, is still okay. Like death rate isn't insane. Like let's, let's go by more of outcomes and not just case rate or transmission rate. Cause yeah, the new variants, are, guess what? They're more transmissible, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like straight up and down. But um, so yeah, that was, that was the only reason it came out here. And then there's just stuff like, Hey, you know, I was in Arizona for a bit and I couldn't make it back to, to L.A. for someone's birthday party. So I was like, oh, man, sorry, I missed that. And then I just get a text a few days later, like, oh, of course, man, all good. It's like probably good you missed it because uh, everybody who went got COVID. We all just <laughs> we just everybody like <laughs> like 15 people were there. Two people came out that didn't have COVID. Everyone else was just in the house this week because, you know, COVID. So it's definitely it's definitely still in these streets. But for yeah, sure. people are like, hey, man, we're going to we got to live, though. For sure. Now, we went to a concert the other day. Listen, I, Modest Mouse, super dope. Parody, so amazing concert. And we were, you know, 1,500 people, pretty crowded place. And we're just like, 50-50, we get COVID, but you got to go to the concert. You know what I mean? But I never, I've never even thought that way before. Like, pre-COVID, I never thought, like, going oh, to a concert, is it worth getting a flu-like vibe? I mean, we're vaccinated triple times, you know, so it's not going to, but like, is it, but like, you know what? Now we just kind of, to me, I can't do the calculus. It's just got to be okay, that's background risk. That's like car accidents or whatever. It's just background risk and just got to live the life. And I understand that everyone's in that luxury. I understand that everyone has that privilege. They might have autoimmune, other disorders, stuff like that. But for us, I, I don't know. And that's how it feels out here. Nothing. Columbia, is it, is it on the cultural radar? Yeah, the, 
the, I mean, obviously the risk profiles out here in Colombia. By the way, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Sure we can. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The mic. Um, risk, risk is a little bit more embraced. Maybe. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> uh, and uh, so is so is having a good time. So yeah, we've been out to multiple concerts out here with you know all the you know Nicky Jam, you know Maluma, all these type of reggaeton artists. This is like a reggaeton capital. And I can't tell that anyone is does anything other than like the most sort of bare bones, like signaling, like they'll have a mask at like some random part and then just take it all off and for at, at any point. So I don't think that anyone's really changed their behaviors here, other than sort of just like this, you know, go sure. through the motions type things. To it's almost like a safety blanket for some some folks or whatever. But other than that, it's just live your life so, so if you're hitting up all these reggaeton you know just waiting for a bat baboonie to come through and really really tear it up <laughs> baboonie is like the the god out here that that one's actually a hard ticket to get because um yeah they they sell out really quick uh on in general but that one's gonna be insane but yeah there's like a like the the area in medellin called poblado is where like all these like reggaeton artists like have um their penthouses and stuff like that and they they just put out a lot of music actually in the streets so like carol g all of these other folks like uh, j balvin bad bunny they come here and they put on like impromptu concerts and different things like that and they just like go out and uh have a good time out here so it's fun it's a fun fun vibe i've really gotten <laughs> Obviously, into reggaeton a lot more than I was. Oh, yeah, a lot more than you were, which was up from zero. So I never heard you talk about <laughs> reggaeton in my life. What the hell are you talking about? As, as if you were back in the day a fan. That's ridiculous. Right. No. I mean, uh, I think we all liked that one track by Daddy Yankee back in the day. He finally Bro, that was the most video. popular song in the world. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's about Despacito? That was literally the most popular. Yes, we did all like that song. It was the most popular song ever, as far as I understood. You mean that Justin Bieber song with the other guy on it? Yeah, exactly. Talking about? Yeah, the Bieber song, the Bieber song, yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm just giving you, it's non-zero, you know. Speaking of zero, I think you have some theories on, on stuff that's... All right, let's talk, about, let's talk about crypto. Let's, let's get... Yeah, so we, you know, we were on this podcast uh, a year ago talking about NFTs. And, you know, Jeremy and I... I would say we, we talked about the fundamental values. We talked about supply, demand, and why there might be a valuation or not. We talked about collectibles. We really examined it. And where we got to was a conclusion that there's not a credible way to limit supply. And as a consequence, there's not, it's hard to maintain a market equilibrium that's non, non-zero prices because you can when you have to have a lot of discipline, you have to maybe something like NBA top shots or something like this. Maybe you have it most of the time you don't. And then we saw just like an explosion of NFTs, like every F1 driver has their collection, of all this nonsense, and they're worth almost nothing now. And so then we were on chat talking about crypto. And I thought to myself, how much of this, again, not maybe not Bitcoin, but everything else, let's say everything else except Bitcoin. Um, What's the probability that in five years the asset value of the float is is close to zero? And I, I think it's non-trivial. I think it's it it 
And the only value I can see, intrinsic actual value to the economy, it, thinking structurally, is for illegal activity. And that's it. And that is a structural value of the economy. Illegal activity is happening and they value it. We value it economically. That is say people, uh, you know, in your standard economic models, no one draws a line around legality. If someone likes drugs and want to pay money for drugs, it's not counted as GDP, but technically it's economic efficiency and economic output. There's a value there. But that is that enough to sustain everything else to me is speculation. Every other bit of it is speculation. And speculation, like Beanie Babies, like NFTs, speculation collapses. So I don't know. I, I, I have now come to this idea that five, ten years out, the history books will write, there was a massive amount of speculation. It productized speculation in terms of gambling. Matt, Matt Damon was in commercials. And then the history books will write like how stupid and predictable this all was that it all ended up worthless again. Fortune favors the brave. Fortune, these commercials, <laughs> this man should be ashamed of himself. Like if you're in fortune, this is where you know, like, I, I, I don't know. He should, he should be ashamed of himself. That's, he should look back at his life when his life is winding down and look at that moment at the stupidest most sellout thing he did. You work your whole life to establish credibility and then you're in fortune favors the brave on the Super Bowl. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just pessimistic because we called NFTs unless something turns around. Those are no longer, no one cares about NFTs anymore as far as I can tell. And I, I, I don't know how y'all feel about crypto because I'm calling it, and again, I'm going to exclude Bitcoin because I think all, all, sometimes one survives. And I think there's a community there that will not abandon it. But everything else, I think it's speculation. And I think speculation eventually doesn't work out if there's no fundamental value. But I don't know, Nathan, you're more, y'all are probably both more optimistic, but Nathan, you're, you're kind of the probably most optimistic about Web3. This is not blockchain, by the way. This is actual cryptocurrency. Currency. Okay, well, that, that's an important distinction then, because I think um, if you're talking about is, sorry, there's a little background noise here, but um, if you're talking about Bitcoin somehow being distinct distinct from the others, then it makes me wonder like what is your what is your basis for saying one is worth zero and the other might stick around? You just said something like markets size size of the market is one. Equilibrium size of the market is one. Basically, in economics, you always have this idea of like how much can the market support? I think the market can support one. Is what I'm, what I'm saying, and that one will be a niche, but they'll dominate that niche. Maybe it's Bitcoin, maybe it's someone else, but it's it that that there's just not a need for multiple, basically, and there's really no need for one except illegal activity. But the needs of the illegal activity provides an incentive to towards one with a dominant market share. Is my you know so that's why I say Bitcoin just because it has the biggest market share now. Oh, no, no other reason. Nothing technological. Nothing. And I know Ethereum just went through a total, you know, redesign of, you know, the blockchain validation to move it away from proof of work, and they're doing a lot of things to reduce energy. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe that will prevail. Uh, but I, that's what I'm saying. That the, that the, the market is only sized for one, and the rest of it is speculation and isn't connected enough to illegal activity to really produce a value because. Uh, Right now, as a currency, it's meaningless. As, a, as an actual currency, when you learn economics, we talked about this, it's store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account. That's what you learn as a currency. And it does all of those three things very poorly. 
So sure. Okay. So going, but going back to your original point, which is okay. So you think that the the economic value only supports one thing that, yes. and it's and it's a relatively small. Right now, you that would mean that whatever we have in terms of valuation of Bitcoin is probably like way over because there's a ton of speculation that came yeah, in that exactly. obviously was not based on the assumption that there's only space for one and that the only economic activity or the only utility associated with Bitcoin is uh, facilitating illegal activities. I will I will distinguish though also a lot of activities are illegal in many countries because of what I would call rent-seeking, you know, um, laws that sure. countries impose sure. in order to protect themselves from competition and from from actual business processes or or protect the cabal from having any anyone else have any other choice or just to, to pilfer their own people's money, right? That's sure. a huge problem that yes. a lot of the developing world has in terms of being able to count on their own currency, right? And Bitcoin what does provide some um, insurance against that in some way because you if you're in Zimbabwe or Venezuela it's very different than if you're in the United States it, it you is. have a lot of US investors so you, you the profile of the risk reward of that like you said there are some fundamental flaws with Bitcoin being uh, you know stable in value but it's still not as flawed <laughs> as a Zimbabwe yeah, but that's not where the. I mean, those countries have like there. There's. I mean, the classic option of those economies is to use a different currency. They dollarize basically. Costa Rica. I mean, you dollarize. You just use a, a foreign currency. Um, but that's if the government itself decides to go along with that plan. That's true. So when, but, you, when you're at odds with your own government and you can't really leave easily, or you do want to leave easily, but you have no way of taking your assets with you. Bitcoin does serve uh, but, as a... But the, the currencies are monopoly tools. I mean, ultimately, a currency is a monopoly on means of exchange in a country. It is. And that monopoly power is expressed through the term signorage, signorage or what's hard to say, which is the value you get with the printing press by creating inflation, right? So these countries that have inflation have it precisely because they're printing money to pay for government goods, right? The only way you get hyperinflation is this way. So... They're a monopoly, but they have the guns and the missiles and stuff. So, like, yes, I agree with you. I'm in a different world where current countries would say, I'll stand back and remove my monopoly on a means of exchange uh, and essentially reduce the value of my fiat currency versus alternatives. Then sure, I think cryptocurrency would that, have a huge role. But that role is play. the world we live in right now for a Zimbabwean, right? Because globally, there are enough participants in the Bitcoin network sure. to actually be able to get out from underneath this. But we all know the value. Of these, we all know the value of these cryptocurrencies. I don't know, Jeremy, what do you think? The value of these cryptocurrencies is not based on the valuation of Zimbabweans right now. It's based on speculation from big. Exactly, money. but that's the that's that's what the Zimbabweans getting the benefit of. Right, it's based on the valuation that mostly American and your and Westerners have put on the the value of Bitcoin. Right, like that is their benefit. That's the arbitrage they're taking. The Zimbabwean, largely, it's to their benefit. If any, if anyone's benefit, right? Because without the the large amounts of speculation around it, Bitcoin would still be worth whatever it is, nothing, close to nothing when it started. Or yeah. basically, it was zero. And, you know, even in the beginning, it was very worth almost nothing. So I think that that point is I mean, we don't have to belabor the point. Yeah. But I do think that 
when you talk about the only activities around Bitcoin that really justify its existence are legal, I do want to point out that there are a lot of things that are legal. Okay, fair point. According to certain jurisdictions, which are essentially the converse of what we think. Yeah, so I'll uh, jump in here. So uh, I think, um, <clears throat> will the cryptocurrencies uh, have a role in the future? Yes. Now, as currently defined, I don't know. I would currently bet Ethereum over Bitcoin because, you know, Ethereum yeah. has the ability to program against them, or Bitcoin yeah. does not. It's fairly dumb. But on the point, I kind of like the Zimbabwean thing. I think, uh, you know, if we get practical, sure, maybe it's a better store of value than whatever crazy inflationary Zimbabwean dollars. But I need to buy bread. Yeah. Right. Bitcoin is not a great medium yeah. to do that. If I'm in Zimbabwe, I, I probably can't go down the street and pay for items in the real world with Bitcoin. And if I can, there's probably, well, depending on how your exchange works or who you work with, but there's generally a lot of fees with this, yeah. right? There's you can I know a lot El Salvador. Of, you, you can in some places. I know there's the Bitcoin city and all that, but that's relatively limited. Maybe you think there's belief in that. I don't know that that network can really sustain true global usage as a currency. I I very much do not think Bitcoin um, has any near term in the next five year solution um, that would allow it to be a functionally widely used currency, right? Like that transaction volumes are low is why you can have, you know, certain populations here and there uh, use it. But if we want to use it as much as a visa, you'd be paying a crazy amount of fees or we have to, you know, do a lot of this, whatever, zero trust mass transactions at one time for one block and hope it all works out. And then, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of tech to work with making it cheaper, right? Which, uh, you know, still unproven. So I think the idea of storing value is great, but that's, that's not a practical day-to-day usage. That's more of someone who's, I'd say, in a more privileged position, even in Zimbabwe, right? Because I got to live day-to-day. So that's why I think to some degree that that's not a great usage uh, or, or, you know, the savior of a thing. They're just like, you know, remittances. I don't know if that's the ultimate savior. Like, I'm not sure. Some people are doing some remittances that way, and it's a little cheaper probably on the fees than, you know, the traditional banking environment. But I think um, the idea that, like, I know a lot of the thoughts here, like, this is completely going to be detached from the banking system. Like, I don't think that's very practical. Right. If you live in like a Western society, like, okay, hey, guess what? You're going to you're going to have to know who you are. Right. The, the kind of point just said of illegal activity, the biggest bit of like in, in the U.S., right, more and more know your customer is coming in. And it's like and more regulation. We can talk about the Coinbase uh, situation uh, later if we want or not. But it's some regulation, some, hey, we're going to take you. This is effectively insider trading. We are taking you to court on this. Like we're going to have to know you and treat you more like common banking and securities situations, which we've allowed to ignore before, right? So I think a lot of the use cases kind of go away if it's like, oh, you're going to regulate this and pay attention to it. Well, then this is just a worse version of yeah. things we already have. Yeah. But like, I do think digital currency could be interesting. So like a digital US dollar yeah. example, that is like a actual dollar where you don't have to know who I am and I could pay someone like a dollar's a dollar, right? And if I go to 7-Eleven, they don't know me. They just say, oh, oh, that's a real U.S. dollar. You want a Gatorade? Cool. Here's a Gatorade. So I think some version of that, right, which more countries are getting. Yeah, that's more like are. digital currency as opposed to like a cryptocurrency. So I think, you know, a digital currency future for sure has to happen. You know, we can. Right. But that that exists today in stable coins. It just so happens that, are know, they the that stable, stable coins aren't stable because a lot of people are using uh, funny math around how they want to fund and, stable coin. and how you know if we're saying a stable coin and your stable coin is just 
attached to the U.S. dollar and we have reserves of U.S. dollar, then we're just saying a digital U.S. dollar yeah, it's just almost at that point, right? Like, that's how the banking system works. You have reserves. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's describing the banking system. Like, sure, I, I, I get you. But, like, if anything, we just talked about how dollarization is ultimately probably the right strategy for large par- parts of the world where they don't yeah, have been. control over their mm-hmm. own fiat. In the immediate term, in the next five to ten years before the U.S. dollar coin comes out or whatever, there's still going to be a very healthy amount of stable coin usage in these places to essentially do what you just talked about, Jeremy, which is go and buy stuff. Like, on the, like yes, I am hungry. I need food. Okay, use stable coins as a medium of transfer. So I, I do and innovation in that space. inviting that um, the you know more regulation tether like these people want to be trusted because their peers are not trustworthy they've all gone you know they've all seen these things blow up too many times to say like it's actually hurting our value proposition more to not be regulated than to be regulated so i do i think that a future in which you have regulation you have stable coins you have the ideas that you're just talking about is much sooner than than what's going to happen at the government level like these government level measures don't happen very quickly they are slow decades they are slow but jeremy raises a good point i mean nathan they're slow but they have the guns and they have the mechanisms to enforce their currency monopoly and the dollar in the pound and the franc and various currencies have historically had a lot of the value based around their international i mean the dollar is the currency of oil for example their international positioning as a unit of account or a means of exchange in international markets and i do think what jeremy says is right that the U.S. government could have a startup of digital dollars that would make dollarization for unstable uh, currency situations much easier technically than it has been in the past. And that would be essentially any increase of the market share of the dollar increases your ability to print dollars and make money. And it would benefit the U.S. government. It would be an interesting idea. But the countries that will put up with it are the ones that it benefits. And I just can't see nation states i mean maybe there's a future that nation states have a much lower influence on economic activity and there are we live that future in many countries as you said Nathan, unfortunately in a sense and in that reality it is different but in in stable i mean you go to argentina right now if you have u.s dollar bills you're going to effectively have a two to three x savings on everything well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, they're largely dollarized yeah. in a in the in the what they call the blue market, right? So every major uh, large asset is really actually only, you know, paid for through dollars, and all the cash flows are in dollars because they they know there's no point in trying to engage in their own currency. Well, this is we maybe we got a clue. It's it's a there is the technical element, which I think. I think we'd all be optimistic on there's the political element and then there's the the reality of crypto today and the reality of crypto today nothing is not i think 
to me, how you see it, the reality is the prices are mostly based on Western investors speculating. And that is historically a very unstable set. That's all I'm focused on. The theoretical arguments, it's just So, that- yeah, going back to that as a, like, yeah, we went really down into yeah. rabbit holes around what is money and all yeah, this exactly. other stuff about super nerdy. But going back to it, I think there's sort of two polar views here. One is like the the Taleb view, right? The Nassim uh, view, which is uh, Bitcoin is zero, crypto is zero. And then the other is like the Andreessen Horowitz view, which is that this is just like uh, the dot-com bubble, right? Yeah. Like crypto yeah. will okay. become the next form internet boom or whatever, right? And I don't, I, I those are, if you're if you're saying okay, on where on that uh, set of polls do do I lie? I definitely do not I lie on the you know crypto zero side of things. Yeah. I think that there's going to be long-term value in the idea uh, uh, in the underlying technologies i think they, there's always sort of a search for it always a search for like when you have a new technology where it really fits because we don't know how these new technologies are going to work with new te- with the original ways in which we do things everyone in the past did say like oh this stuff like email is all just a, a game and no one's going to use it and actually games also, right, were largely considered to be irrelevant. Now they have larger market shares than all of the pro sports combined. So I think that I am much more, I would say I'm like, if you're going to say, okay, one poll, the other poll, sure. I would say I am like 25% towards the, you know, if the middle point is, I don't know which way it's going, I'm yeah. 25% towards the Andreessen viewpoint. Yeah, and I will... Just say right now, Chris Dixon, if you're listening, I will take uh, the entries and money and I'll figure it out later. I think that's pretty <laughs> much what every other <laughs> crypto or Web3 company is doing. So, uh, you know, on, on this point, I'll be on Team Nithin. Give us the money and I'll figure out the use case in the future because I think that's about as good as what anyone else is doing at this point. Because, um, yeah, to me, I, I think of the future. Um, I think uh, decoupling kind of cryptocurrency usage from general Web3 and yeah. decentralization that I think there are use cases for decentralization that will occur that we do not know now. I, 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 I'm on team that. Cryptocurrencies themselves and those use cases, I don't, you know, I, I think that is not as clear, right? Because right now a lot of the it's tokenization of the, to try to provide value for some utility of like running all these servers to validate, you know, stuff. Right, which is very inefficient. And like, I don't know, a Google data center is way better to validate stuff than all individuals, right? So I think um, I think it'll probably not be zero, but to me, it's still very much hunting for use cases, right? Like, what is this? What is this actually better than? And yeah. um, I think we don't know. It'll be something, but a TBD, right? We'll like, see. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll... All those inventors out there, uh, it's up to you guys. Go tell us why we should actually care about this and not just speculate that one Solana today will be worth more tomorrow, and that's it. I mean, uh, look, uh, the last thing I'll say. Number shows up. <laughs> is I felt this way since 2000. I mean, we I studied cryptocurrency back in the day because I was always interested in economics and technology. And I, and I remember in 2012, went to 28, then went back down to three. And I was like, I wanted to write a paper about the fundamental flaws of the idea. And then it went to like a thousand. And I was like, uh oh. And then I, I never bought. So, like, and, and, and then, like, like my mentor, uh, Susan Athey, 
uh, at the time, she was Shout much out. more sanguine about it and much more optimistic. And I probably should just listen to her, you know, probably could have gotten a lot of crypto and she was on the board and stuff. And so, um, you know, so I've been wrong before, but, but I'm going to call it, I'm on dang near zero here, not on crypto, not on blockchain, stuff like that. So Nithin's on 25% towards, uh, uh, the optimistic crypto scenario. Jeremy's on maybe 25% again, that I'm on damn near zero. But uh, let's talk about in the rain and keeping it the same theme of tech AI. A Google employee was came out this past week. Um, he was he was let go of Google, but I don't think it was actually due to this. I think he was just otherwise not supposed to talk to the press directly and stuff. But he he talked to the press and said that he became convinced that a, just a chat bot or an AI, a generative text AI that you can talk to was, in his opinion, sentient. And of course, what exactly that means, I don't know. And he's put the conversational logs up of the conversations that convinced him of this. Um, and and he, he, he was dismissed, but, I, but I, I have read that he was dismissed primarily because he's not authorized to talk to the press, not because of what he said specifically. But... I've read a bunch about this, but I love, and this is one I don't want to, you know, he's getting a little bit of dunked on in the press uh, and in the AI community a little bit, which is like, how could someone say this knowing how these things work? And I've read a few articles kind of dunking on him, but to me, it's not that simple, I would say, because I think the first person, if AI ever becomes sentient, I'm pretty sure the first person who calls it out will be called crazy. Uh, but I do not think this AI is sentient by any means. But I don't know. Jared, what do you think? Uh, sentient AI from a chatbot, is, is this guy crazy is it, or is it a nuanced issue? He, I mean, he's crazy for saying it. Certainly there's a nuanced issue. But, you know, yeah. if you look at the responses here, because you have to remember, like, the chatbots are trained on yes. humans talking, right? So yeah. it is trying to just respond to inputs yeah. that humans would give, right, which is different from having sentience and having your own thoughts because yeah. you ask good questions and it will respond about its friends or its family. And you're yeah. like, this doesn't make any sense. You don't have any friends or family, right? Yeah. You, you're a AI and some server or multiple servers all around the world or whatever. Yeah. Right. So the response, and I think I've you know heard this come up in different podcasts. People talk about it, like the response you receive sounds like a human because it's, it, it's learned from humans, yes. right? But it doesn't mean the response makes sense, right? Yeah. You can sound good, but not be applicable to the question you're asking it for itself, right? So I think um, these AIs are getting very good at responding with human-like responses, Yes. which, yeah, that's just going to get better and better over time. But there's such a far gap from, you know, can you respond to an input that sounds like something you might say, Justin, or just a human? Like, yeah, they're going to be very good at that. But then say, hey, I have my own thoughts. I know I'm an AI and I'm across where I'm a bot and you guys are using me for this. Like, it's not saying that. It's like, how do you feel? I feel down. Well, guess what? There's probably a, a million responses that's read that yeah. read, I feel like crap today and I wish my mom Yeah, exactly. Her, right? Like, yeah. So it's just choosing one of those and throwing it out at you because that's what it's learned from its mind. So I think it's the guy's very silly, silly to, to say that. Me now, too. I think proposing the, hey, we're... um. Things are going to start to get murky sooner than later here, guys. Here's like an example of, you know, some responses and, you know, sounds good, but obviously, you know, it's not real. I think that is interesting talking point, right? Of like, hey, uh, so I know this response is this, this AI doesn't have a family, but 
boy, when I talk to it, it makes me feel like I'm talking to a human, yeah. right? Like, like I feel like I might be, it might pass the Turing test. Not that that's the best test, but yeah. it's like, hey, I'm not, you know, it's, it's not clear that this isn't a human I'm talking to. So I think that's way more interesting to talk about because, yeah, I think in general, if you talk to anyone who's kind of in this space, it's their job, their research, they're like, yeah, we're still very far away from quote unquote sentience yeah. and, and, and how everyone defined that, which again, I think you said is, is up in the air, how we want to define it. Uh, but, you know, it's an interesting article, thought piece. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to get you out of the door too, because I'm like, you're not worth the headache. You're saying dumb stuff. Like, yeah. we just wanted you to go fix bugs and try to make this bot not racist or whatever. Like, because, <laughs> you know, again, that's also the problem you're going to get with these yeah. things because they learn yeah. from humans, yeah. right? And racism comes across these bots. I remember, Microsoft, oh yeah, I was uh, like there. A more generic bot, and it and it got racist. But like day one, you're like, oh boy, this this bot's racist. And it's like the bot isn't racist. Humans are, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. And then we got to go correct for all of that. So, uh, yeah, to me, it's uh, kind of a story we've sort of heard before, but uh, yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, I think it's obviously not sentient. Yeah. and uh, I think part of the reason this guy's getting dunked on is unfortunately also like his the his he fits the mold of when you think of an AI researcher person <laughs> that falls uh, in love with the AI. falls in love with his AI. Yeah. I, I mean that's you know that's unfortunate. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that either, but he fits that profile. <laughs> yeah, he fits that profile. So I think a lot of that sort of it's it's very easy to um, go ad hominem against him and like forget that maybe he actually is closer to it than most of us are. Right. I mean, he's day to day working on this thing. And like you said, the first person who's actually going to call it out will most likely be ridiculed. Yeah. Um, and even his bosses and the people at DeepMind um, admit up front that at some point this is an ethical issue that we will have to confront and that we are inching closer and closer to that every day. Yeah. So for me, it's sort of like a, if you admit that, then you need to have real control processes where someone isn't just like randomly having to renegade and make claims. You need to have a whole system in place saying, are we sentient it yet? Are we sentient yet? Are we getting closer? Yeah. Like what are the metrics by which we're evaluating these problems? And uh, I don't think there's anything even close to that in the space, right? Everyone's just sort of going full, full, you know, gas pedal on, let's just make this stuff look amazing, right? Like the dal e stuff where you're able to like make amazing art or you're able yeah. to gp3 uh make amazing text out of nothing the generative space is just like you know exploding with all these applications and it's gonna you know eventually displace a lot of people i think that a lot of creative yeah. talent will be displaced by first pass stuff where the ai starts the process off and then you have a back and forth of humans that iterate towards the real ultimate um, deliverable. But, you know, a lot of that stuff before the AIs were probably going to be highly labor intensive and th that labor has gone. That's yeah. going to be gone. So that's another implication of AI that I think a lot of people are, probably should be more focused on as well than just the AI sentience problem, because I think we are pretty far from that. And like ideas around general intelligence are poorly understood even in human beings. I think one of the most important things I heard about this was from the, the head of DeepMind, um, who talked about how, you know, part of the reason we can appreciate sentience in other human beings and even other animals in some 
to some level is that they all have the same substrate, right? We're all carbon-based yeah. biological wetware. But once you're in a different substrate, it's going to be really hard for us to appreciate what is real intelligence, what is sentience, what, what's going on, because it's so foreign from us. It's truly alien. Yeah. So um, we have to be really careful about those things because we're not using the same, we can't use the same tests. Like these Turing tests are very poor tests. Like we have to use different tests to try to understand how far along the AI is. Also, AI is such a, yeah. such a catch-all word, which is ridiculous. This is all essentially a set of matrix multiplications, right? It's machine learning is, that's all it is right now. And maybe you could say that our neurons are essentially- Sure, the exactly, data. that's the argument, is that our neurons are essentially discrete, uh, the, yeah. Uh, right. You know, thresholds. And- that are doing the same, same computation in a different way. But I don't think there's any evidence that there's generalization to any of this stuff, right? Like it has to be highly trained and the outputs have to be like highly meticulously crafted so that you don't get super racism or you don't get all these, you know, absurd outcomes with the, with the training modules. So are humans though. I think if you don't care with humans, you get absurd racism too. If you raise them a little bit off, Uh, I think we've seen that. So, but I hear you. I I think like, yeah. You know, I read a paper, it was probably 10 years ago in science, and it talked about deep learning and the number of examples needed to train, like, a deep learning algorithm to recognize, like, a horse or something, you know, from a donkey, from other four-legged animals, let's say, from a cow. And, uh, yeah, they can absolutely do this, and now they can do it quicker, but, you know, you need to feed in maybe, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of examples. And with all those examples, they really form an opinion. But a human, you can show them a horse and a cow one time, and they get it. And, and we don't know how. We don't quite exactly know how that, that works. The, the, the ability to learn off much orders of magnitude fewer. Same with poker. The algorithms that they train to beat poker, the number of hands they have to play to learn are orders of magnitudes greater than professional poker players could learn to play in their lifetime. There's a difference in the learning. But if, to me, what's crazy is, you know, if you develop a generalized learning system that's as powerful as a human brain, it could live hundreds of thousands, millions, hundreds of millions of lifetimes in in seconds, theoretically. And that, that is scary. So I think it is, a, it is a scary idea. But yeah, in the future, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, I think the idea, I, I think that's probably further away than we think. And the fact that like a researcher that worked on it could be convinced that it's more than just essentially pattern matching text shows how convincing the experience is and that, Nathan, speaks to your point that these technologies could replace humans in lots of places because even people that know dang well what's happening are convinced something more is happening. And that's that's a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough moment, I would say. You know, um, So I don't know. It, to me, and I, I agree with you. Art, let's talk about Dolly. We, we shared it. You know, this is, if, you're not, if you've never seen it, it's D-A-L-L-E. And there's other comp- competition out there, but you can type in, like, you know, uh, Houston hangout in Lego form on a mountain or something, and it produces a photorealistic image of that, or in this case, Lego-fied uh, image, and it does it in 10 seconds, and it looks like a photo. Or if I would said something more realistic, like two dogs falling in love, it would somehow show that. And it's crazy to me. Like, I want to use it for all applications of, like, my presentations, everything like that. And it would scare the absolute lights out of me if I was a photographer. You know, just anything. And teddy bears on the moon playing baseball in the style of Van Gogh. Boom. 
ten, here, here are 10 options for you. <laughs> what do you, what do you think? And, uh, yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's some wild stuff you haven't seen because you can throw some crazy prompts out there. Like things that you were like, this is, this seems a little nonsensical. I don't know how a human would interpret this. And then you see what it puts out and it's like, Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. <laughs> like it's a, it's a, it's a great point for starting ideas. Um, so I don't know. I've, I've really enjoyed the threads. I've seen them just the output of these things. It. And as Nathan said, also it, it is not just like, to me, the art is the next step. Like text was actually first, right? Yeah. So many generative stories. And I think people probably don't know a lot of the kind of article farm companies, like how much of this is just AI generated stories, right? Like they're just like reading stuff and banging them out. And it's like, you're experiencing this in your day-to-day probably and not aware that yeah. like this either was completely written or started by an AI and maybe lightly edited by a human. And that's how they're cranking out so much stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be, as Nathan said, a lot of um, artists c- could be impacted by this just because it's a great starting point now if you zoom in on it right now like they're generally not super high resolution when you kind of really sure. dig in you're like okay you can you kind of get the photoshop it, effect yeah. of like all right you took a slice of this and this and yeah. this and then you kind of smash the layers together but i can see the edges here so again i think it's more of a starting point than like yeah. this is a finished output but you know, there's a, you need a lot of starting points for a lot of stuff, right? Like that's, that's still a huge benefit. So for me, I think it's a, it's a great tool, but uh, kind of what we're saying on the other side on the ethics, I think some of the ethical things they have to put in of like, okay, um, either we're blurring faces or like we, we're yeah. not accepting names of a human, like yeah. Beyonce doing X with Y and yeah, exactly. out, right. And you're just like, Oh yeah, we have to, prevent this because again they, humans they are humans have that they have yeah, it, they're yeah. gonna do crazy yeah. stuff yeah right you but can't put any but they have it but right. you could easily i mean in yeah. five years this will be something people have running on laptops and they won't have that you know built in they'll be taking it off yeah and, and that's where it gets scary right because right now you know yes this deep minds you know companies we trust but there as just over time the technology becomes more accessible to more companies and more folks. And then, you know, kind of just like deep fakes, right? We're like, okay, this is getting better over time. And like, all right, so we can kind of deep fake stuff. We can just generate things by typing. And right now, you know, it's still images. I don't know when you're going to just type in stuff and be like, give me a 10 second clip of whatever. And it's trying to act it out, but 10 years, like, I I don't know, but like, yes, Seems like that's going to be possible, right? So that to me is like where stuff's going to get real weird. Like to me, kind of like the deep fake talk of like, all right, how are we going to, you know, like if you're, I'm just going to company we don't love, but Facebook or Google, like they're going to have to have to be able to identify and say like, this is computer generated, (laughs) you know, at a, at a high clip. Cause it's going to be very confusing times. Cause it's like, what's, what's real here? (laughs) Will, Will there be, a cultural counter revolution against digital mediums because you can't trust your eyes in 10 years on anything you see digitally because it can be synthetically created so easily. And there'll be a whole generation of people that are like Luddites that we would consider today. And they'll be like, my parents grew up and they use Instagram and now it, and, and now we would never touch it. Like, is there going to be a whole, is that, because to me, I'm scared. I am absolutely petrified by the idea that I can't trust my eyes or ears, like in digital media, like that to me. And I think you're right, Jeremy, there'll be a point where that's true. 
if that point is today, I don't know. I, think, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the point is already beyond return, right? Because millions of people are being duped by all types of stuff on the internet without Dolly even being there, right? So <laughs> we're already past the point of no return on that psych, psyops stuff that happens. But I think just like any other market situation, your market demand, which is I need to be able to trust my eyes, is going to be met by 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 other people who want to uh, solve your problem for a fee, right? Yeah. So I think that rather than saying people will just reject the technology, which always there are some Luddite phases for every new technology uptake, I think we're just going to have this sort of escalating warfare around AIs, detecting AIs and AIs doing this. And it, it, it starts getting a little bit too meta where you're like at some point if we get to the general level like you're just given full control to the ais to battle each other and then one might decide we're not part of the equation did, did we just come up with a business idea do we need to get this off the pod like we we're going to make the ai that authenticates images uh <laughs> for uh, on the internet and we'll just we'll, we'll take our take our fee to, to operate that that this is uh, not a computer there you are. images there yeah you. like all right we're gonna cut this cut this yeah. oh, my God. Out. <laughs> <laughs> on, on that note we should probably close down we're at we're at our time limit at 45 minutes uh, gentlemen it's always great chopping it up with you for our listeners out there we like to remember if you're uh, on a podcast platform hit subscribe so you get notified any new episode because they do happen a little asynchronously uh, if you're watching on youtube if we post this to youtube please hit like or subscribe and, uh, and so forth tell your friends otherwise we'll uh, we'll see you next time till then chop it out chop, chop. chop.